when we started this new series in John's Gospel and we called it Introducing Jesus, we're going to take some time on these uh, Sunday mornings um, to discover that John, the Gospel writer, is a, a very skilled communicator. He's a bit like a, a chat show host. He introduces us to Jesus in a different way than the other gospel writers do. He's much more focused on personal interactions that Jesus has with people. He's a bit more up close and intimate rather than uh, panning out and giving the big picture like the other gospel writers do. So I hope this series will have uh, something for everyone. So if you're a person who's uh, known Jesus all your life and known about him, uh, I hope that getting a little bit closer uh, and looking a little more carefully at some of Jesus' encounters with individual people will show you things that you hadn't noticed before. And if you're someone who doesn't know very much about Jesus at all, uh, then this is a brilliant place uh, to be introduced to him, to get to know who he is uh, and what he <laughs> might mean to you. Uh, so let me pray that we'll know God's help, all of us, uh, and then think about this part of his word together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you tell us all about yourself, who you are in your word. And we thank you above all that there came a moment in time when you said that words on a page were not enough. When you wanted to come and to be with us, when you sent your son, Jesus, who is very God with you to come and to live among us, to show us what you're really like. So help us, Lord, each one of us, to pay attention now, to see who Jesus is, to hear what he says, and to learn to, to realign our lives in the light of your coming among us. Help us, we pray. Amen. What do you want? It's a pretty stark kind of a question whenever you hear it fired at you and often it can make us feel a little uncomfortable or, or maybe even unwelcome depending on the circumstances. What do you want? And yet they're the very first words that the gospel writer John puts on the words of Jesus in the whole of his gospel. It's interesting to notice that in our passage this morning. Beginning in verse 35, he tells us about a moment where two of John the Baptist's disciples walk after Jesus, begin to follow him, and whenever Jesus notices that he's being followed, he turns, he looks these guys in the eye, and he asks them, what do you want? Jesus probably knows what they want, but he wants them to start thinking about what they want what they want with him. What do you want? It's, it's still an important question today for anybody who is coming to have a, a look who's interested in Jesus Christ. Because whenever we start to show an interest in Jesus, we actually come with a variety of interests. We don't all come looking for the same thing. We come looking for different things. And although those things are as unique as each one of us is, our, our different personalities, our different backgrounds. I think there are a couple of major uh, patterns 
couple of major, major categories in which people initially think about Jesus. Some people come to Jesus looking for a savior. And you'll have heard that word if you've been around a place like this very much. These people have a strong sense of God's perfection and of their corruption. They understand that their lives fall short of God's standards. They appreciate that their wrongdoing won't ever evaporate. They might try to bury it in the sand or to forget about it, but somehow they know it won't simply go away. And these people appreciate that if they're ever going to be restored into a right relationship with God, something needs to be done. They need somebody who'll take the penalty that rightfully is theirs. They need somebody who'll stand in their place. They're looking for a savior and rightly they're drawn to Jesus Christ. Some people come to Jesus looking for a teacher. They maybe have a growing realization that their lives are, are falling short of what they hoped they would be. Doing the job, paying the bills, watching catch-up TV and going on holiday once or twice a year simply isn't cutting it anymore. They want something more. They want to change and grow. They're looking for someone to follow, someone who'll inspire them, someone who'll teach them how to live better and love more. They're looking for a teacher. And rightly, they're drawn to Jesus Christ. Savior, teacher. Both of these are good things to look for in Jesus Christ. Neither of them is enough. Not on its own. When we reduce Jesus to either one of these, Savior or Lord, then we miss the real Jesus. It's possible, you see, for people to want Jesus as their Savior and yet not live in a right relationship with him. It's possible to be what Dallas Willard calls a vampire Christian, someone who's interested in Jesus only for his blood. So long as they know that Jesus died for their sins at some point in the past, that their sins are forgiven in the present, that Jesus will see them right in the future, then they're happy to go through the rest of life not paying Jesus an awful lot of attention. Lip service, maybe. It's possible to want Jesus as a savior and not relate properly to him. It's also possible to want Jesus as a teacher and still miss what he's really all about. Lots of people the world over agree that Jesus is a brilliant moral teacher. They come to him for new insights uh, about what life's all about. And in their limited reading of the biblical record, they, they've understood Jesus to be a, a really good person. And in their minds, they make him a do-gooder. A do-gooder who can inspire their do-gooding. But to understand Jesus that way simply won't do. He, he refuses to be reduced to another Gandhi or another Martin Luther King, another poster boy for a good life. Jesus is very clear that he came into the world to save us from our sins. 
The more I think about it, the more I'm beginning to wonder that John chose the first words that Jesus would speak in his gospel quite carefully. Before he begins to tell us anything about Jesus, he unsettles us and he provokes us with a question. He has us hearing the same question that those first disciples heard. What do you want? And if I'm right about this, then if John really is challenging us from the word go, then I'm amazed to see how full and balanced a picture of Jesus he's already built up in one chapter. In the space of 51 verses, beginning with the prologue, then John the Baptist and Jesus, and now today, Jesus and his first disciples, he builds up a picture that shows us that Jesus is both the savior of the world, the one who rescues us from sins, and the master teacher whom we should follow and dedicate our lives to. Not one, both. That's who Jesus is, and it's the only Jesus there is. In the opening verse uh, of our passage, the opening verses, John, I, I, I sort of made this clear last week. Let me tell you, there are two Johns here. There's John who's writing the gospel, and in this first chapter, he's talking a bit about John the Baptist, okay? So in our first chapter, John repeats John the Baptist's claim that Jesus is the Savior. In verse 36, he records John the Baptist's words to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. And he has John here repeating the claims that John had made for Jesus the day before. If you look back to verse 29, John saw Jesus, pointed to him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Strange language for us. Not at all strange for the first audience. Everyone in John's audience knew what a lamb was and what a lamb was about. For centuries, lambs had been sacrificed in worship and, and the lamb reminded people that God had a way of dealing with sin. So whenever John pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God, he was saying, there he goes. The one through whom God's going to deal with your sin and with mine and with the sin of the world. Jesus' whole life and particularly then his death and resurrection, show that John the Baptist was on the money. Jesus was the lamb who'd give his life for the sins of the world. Tell me this. Are you trusting Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to make you right with God? If so, know that you stand before God white as snow. Perfect. And if not, not yet, know that this is the only way you can be made right with your Creator. It's crucial 
to recognize Jesus Christ as Savior. But we must also make him Lord. And that's what this passage this morning is about. John provides that balance. If, if last week we, we saw the Lamb and we saw the Savior, this week we see the, the, the Lord, the one whom we must follow. Whenever uh, John is talking here about following Jesus, I think some of the younger guys might need an explanation. He's not talking about Twitter here at this point. There, there are other ways of following that uh, were established long before uh, that social media. We'll see here today what it means to follow Jesus. It begins with two anonymous men in verse 38. They call Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. And they don't know Jesus yet, but they've seen something in him. Their first impressions are that he's someone I want to follow. I want to learn more about him. I want to know more about him. And I want to learn from him how to live. But in this short passage, their understanding of Jesus grows quite Quickly, it's like the scales fall, out, fall off. Andrew, one of the two, when he's inviting his brother Simon to come and to meet their newfound friend, he says, we have found the Messiah. That, that is the Christ. So Andrew's starting to believe, and David talked about this last week, that, that Jesus might be this king that Israel had been waiting for promised centuries before was was the king finally coming was it was it this guy but there's even more that these first disciples were beginning to discern about the identity of Jesus in verse 49 we have Nathaniel in one sentence he claims that Jesus is a great teacher that he's the Messiah and that he's the son of God rabbi he says you're the son of God you're the king of Israel. Tell me this. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is he the boss? Is he the one you have apprenticed yourself to? To learn from him how to live? If so, then be, be sure that you have entered into and you're beginning to learn the fullest, richest life that there is. If not, then please understand that for the time being, you're living out of step with how this world's created. I want to spend the rest of our time, just the last few minutes, Noticing how these first disciples respond to Jesus. Among them, they reckon, is Israel's promised king, the son of the living God, the one who can teach them better than anyone else how they should live. And what do they do? They follow him. Begins very literally in verse 37, where the following is an actual walking after him, walking down the road after him. And whenever these disciples ask Jesus where he's staying, they're basically saying, we'd like to come and, and be with you. Can we join you? This is going to take some time. Can we talk things over with you? Can we get to know you better? Come on ahead, Jesus says. Come, follow me. So they spend the day with them. 
And we've already noticed that Andrew was one of the two who followed Jesus. Before long, he'd invited his brother, Peter. And in the second half of our passage, we see Jesus inviting Philip to follow him. Jesus wanted these young men in his gang to learn from him how to live. He was going to be their rabbi and their teacher, and they were going to be his disciples. By the way, what Jesus was doing here wasn't weird. It was quite normal in the culture. In the the times, there were many religious leaders or rabbis, and they'd take applications from young men who wanted to come and to be their students, to learn their teachings, to learn how to be like their rabbi. Andrew, Simon, Philip, they all understood exactly what was going on here. Jesus was gathering up his class. It was enrollment season. And they were joining as his apprentices. They were going to learn from Jesus so that they could be like Jesus and start to do the things that Jesus did. That's what happens when a rabbi takes disciples. And that's what happens here. Another thing, these guys weren't old. It's very likely that Jesus was 30 or roundabout at this point. And a rabbi's disciples would usually have been considerably younger. These guys were probably mid to late teens. 14, 16, 18, 20 maybe. These these were young men. And they were committing themselves saying, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And right from the moment they met him, their lives just changed. Life-changing impact. Look at Andrew's brother Simon, verse 42. We're told that Jesus looked at him, and the, the, the translation really means that he took a good look. He stared at him, gazed at him. And then he said to him, You're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas. Which means rock. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why on the first meeting with a guy would Jesus change his name? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's because what a name meant in the culture of those days. Your your name was more than a label. You weren't just named after the latest footballer or pop star as people are nowadays. Your your name was your, your whole identity. It summed up your whole personality. To change a person's name was to change the entire person. But there's another reason why Jesus changed Simon's name. Changing a person's name showed a change of allegiance for them. It's something that a king sometimes did when he defeated an enemy. I'll change the guy's name. I'll show him who's boss. I think there's a bit of both of these dynamics at play here. From now on, Simon belongs to Jesus. Jesus has the right to change his name. But Simon's a different man. His his personality, his character, they are transformed and are being transformed. The the new name points to the kind of guy that he's going to be. He's called, called Rocky, the guy you could build on. A foundation strong enough to to build on. 
If, if you know anything about Peter in the gospel accounts, you'll think Jesus is having a laugh, pulling his leg. Should have called him Sandy. Tempestuous. Gets nearly every decision he makes wrong. Claims he'll do one thing, usually fails and does the other. Sandy, the sand that shifts beneath your feet. Jesus calls him Rocky. See, it's early days yet in the dealings of Jesus with this young Galilean fisherman. Rocky, he does become. God uses this young fella and within a couple of decades he'll use him to start a movement that turns the world upside down. When we meet Jesus, life changes. Jesus doesn't just change the lives of people who are already that kind of people. The churchy types, the predisposed religious types. He also meets cynics, and we see that with Nathaniel in verse 45. Philip is the, the bright-eyed, um, the bright-eyed spiritual type. He comes and meets him. Nathaniel, we've found the one Moses was talking about in the law, the one the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's brilliant. And what does Nathaniel say? Yeah, right. Philip, sure. That's right. The one Moses is talking about said Nazareth. Yeah, that's right. Because all the good stuff always happens here in Galilee, in this backwater where we live. Yeah, sure. Philip, you go ahead and waste your time imagining that, that that guy has something to do with God among us. I have better things to do with my time. It all changes for Nathaniel when he meets Jesus. Jesus begins the conversation, verse 47. Here is a true Israelite, he says, in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asks, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel answers, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He, he goes from being a, a cynic to following just in a few moments of Jesus' company. Why is that? Doesn't really ring true, does it? Why would a person change from a hardened position to being so open and do that so quickly? It's because Jesus shows him that he knows him and that he respects him. I saw you before Philip called you. Philip didn't draw you to my attention. I, I already saw you. I always see. I see all people. William Barclay says that Nathaniel capitulated forever to the man who read and understood and satisfied his heart. You can see just how far Nathaniel is willing to go in his commitment to Jesus. 
Jesus had called him a true Israelite, verse 47. Verse 49, Nathanael goes on to say that Jesus is the king of Israel. I'm an Israelite, all right, Jesus. And you're the king. You're my king. People change when they meet Jesus Christ. We began this morning by asking a question, or hearing Jesus' question. What do you want? And we've seen that our preconceived ideas of what we want from Jesus have to take a back seat. They have to realign to who Jesus really is. He's the savior of the world. He's the king and the master. He's the one who forgives our sin, but also the one who claims our allegiance. He's both and all of these things. Maybe the best way to finish today is to ask the Jesus question, to allow Jesus, or sorry, to ask Jesus the question that he was kind enough to ask us. He asks us, what do you want? And we reply, Jesus, what do you want? Do you know what Jesus wants from you? Jesus, what do you want? That's easy, he says. Let me be the lamb. Let me take the punishment that you deserve and die in your place. Let me be your king, your master, your rabbi, your teacher. Apprentice yourself to me. And let me teach you how to live. What do I want? That's easy. Follow me. Let's pray. Father God, we are surprised when we come to your word and we find you in, in Jesus asking us what we want. The living God asking us what, what our hearts desire. Lord, we pray that as we've seen Jesus in your word here this morning, as we do it week by week and in other ways in our lives, we pray that we would see him in all his beauty, would see how he's the answer to all our questions and the answer even to the questions that we aren't asking. Lord, help us to see that Jesus is all. And we pray that we, like those first disciples, would drop everything and go. Go after you. Follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.